Welcome back once again, everybody. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is season two, episode 25, and if you've been with us this long, um, there's no way out. Uh, it's, uh, it's now mandatory, I'm afraid, but uh, thanks for being here anyway. Today we're picking up on the conversation that, uh, that we left off last week with Jeff Ventrella and Andrew Sandlin. Joe Boot is with us today as well. We get Jeff and Andrew back and we, uh, we circle back around to our conversation on natural law and syncretism and the push to normalize this kind of thing among Reformed believers. Before we get to the show, I just want to take a few seconds to tell you about a program that the Ezra Institute's running this summer. It's called the Worldview Leadership Camp, and it's a week-long summer camp experience in the Niagara Peninsula. It's designed to help high school students understand, defend, and apply their Christian faith in the midst of the intellectual and the practical challenges of our day. It's a great opportunity to learn from Christian apologists and a faculty of world-class scholars and theologians and cultural reformers. It's a chance to connect with other Christian young people who want to make a difference in their generation. You can find out more by visiting ezrainstitute.ca. I'm really glad you guys both could be here. Last week, we had, uh, we had spent a lot of our time talking about the idea of natural law and of, uh, of natural theology. Uh, and in a way, um, that, was, that was a bit of a prelude to today's discussion where we're going to... Uh, I'd, I'd like to just sort of open it up uh, with the, the point that... Uh, I forget who it was, but one of you had made the point in an email exchange that had been going around that natural theology opens the door to various forms of syncretism. And uh, I would just, uh, I'd like to, maybe with reference to some specific cases or, or with um, some theological uh, backing here, uh, if we can just put some, uh, put some flesh on that, uh, that comment. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at that, Ryan. Um, the notion of syncretism, the blending or blurring of completely different presuppositions or worldviews, in the uh, under the umbrella of well, I'm gaining wisdom. Let me give you a very ripe example of that in today's uh, church culture. That is, we have a uh, straight-ahead attack on capital punishment within the church, mm-hmm. not only on the issue of well, it's not procedurally being applied uh, wisely, it's being misapplied, it's being uh, uh, discriminatedly applied, it's singling. No, it is now coming where people are arguing uh, that it is an inherently evil uh, device, an evil form of penology. Well, irrespective of our listeners' view of uh, the capital penalty, the reality is that Christian tradition for 2,000 years, and more importantly, God himself mm-hmm. required capital punishment in a number of particular instances. And we can debate how that looks today. We can talk about that. But setting that aside, syncretism ultimately will come around and undermine the first entity as it begins to synthesize the second entity. It will undermine, cabin off, and then ultimately cannibalize and then eviscerate that particular thing. So what we have now is a situation where people are more pro-life than God. Yeah. In the name of wisdom. Yeah. That's not good. 
that's it and at the same time in the same churches in the same church context you've got people increasingly becoming ambivalent about abortion uh and uh infanticide yeah and so on so you seem there seems to be a, an inherent uh, uh contradiction at work there it's as though we are happy to uh uh, f uh to to give life to the guilty and and uh, destroy the innocent no, I was going to say, Ezekiel said that very thing in chapter 13. He says, you profane me. How do we profane you? By keeping alive those who should die yes. and executing those who should live. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I, and I suggest, uh, since we're talking here in the introduction about natural theology, that any uh, movement away from the final authority of God's propositional revelation if it moves along a consistent path, will eventually end up in syncretism. Because once we get rid of this propositional authority, we will become our own authority or, ad or adapt other authorities. And that's precisely what happens. And there are no exceptions historically to that, by, a way, by the way. And that's what's happening not just in theological liberalism, not just political liberalism, but also in so-called conservative circles, both theological and political. Give you another example. Recently, a well-known uh, woman author and so forth, known in conservative evangelical circles in the United States, started opining that there's this, you know, tension between the Gospels and the Epistles, and we need to wrestle with the tension. Well, that's just 20th century liberalism, 19th century liberalism, but it's that's dressed right. up now as being, oh, I'm really discerning and I need to learn more. Yeah. That's very dangerous thinking. That's syncretism. Yeah, yeah. Under often right. under the uh, the the, the uh, wisdom and discernment motif uh, yeah. that this is teased out. I mean, I think as we guys as we talk about you know natural theology, natural law, one of the things that might be helpful for our listeners just to begin with is to say something about the provenance of of uh, of, of natural law, uh, natural theology. And um, at least in very broad brushstrokes, um, de define it as it were, and so and so find something of the contrast between um, a, uh, a a reformational, reformed, evangelical, traditional understanding, and um, where things have gone today. I'm happy to have a quick stab at that and just say that the the origin of of the natural law natural theology type thinking goes all the way back to the stoic philosophers and the attempt to locate uh law um and thereby authority in in an, an, an eternal sort of immutable realm of reason in, in ultimately in man himself so that the source of law really because uh, this this eternal immutable law is discerned by man's rationality. It's located uh, finally in uh, human reason, human rationality. It's located in the human person. Um, and you, we we have the other extreme, of course, um, which comes up in 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 positivism, the whole notion that um, uh, you know there's a there's a fundamentally a denial that there are any universal constant uh norms 
Um, and so uh, the positivist, you know, if the if the state says it's law, it's valid. And so there's nothing that sort of transcends um, the the polis, the state's uh, uh, positivizing of its own values and ideas. And those might shift from from one moment to the next. And both of these perspectives seem to miss the biblical uh, notion of um, an eternal God uh, whose uh, moral character and nature uh, is basic to our, our understanding of human beings as God's image bearers and that there are universal constant norms uh, that God has established um, but they are creational that there is that this is and there's an um, I don't want to get too philosophical here but there's a, there's a sort of an ontic normativity here that this is there, there is a there is a realm of norms or and we might want to use the term principles um, that give moral uh, authority that come from God. It's by virtue of creation. Um, and uh, these are uh, these are basically presupposed in all man's sort of legal wranglings and reasonings and so forth about what is true, what is right, what is just. And these are republished. Uh, in the inscripturated um, word of God, and so we don't—we're not left looking at some uh, into peering into man's reason or some sort of autonomous reason to find eternal truths that are somehow valid in and of themselves. Um, rather, there are the norms and principles that God lays out that we have to, the human subject, in any given context, whether you, the history of Israel or the New Testament or even today. That we are, we then positivize. We give expression to those God-given, God-created norms. Um, so there's a sort of very quickly, and, and I know it's very broad brushstrokes. Uh, at least my understanding of of uh, an, an idea of natural law as it came to us from the Greek world, and there was an attempt to kind of Christianize that somewhat, and we're seeing a revival of, of a certain amount of natural law thinking. And what we might call more of a creational perspective um, that where the authority rests with God and the the principles are republished in his word. Yes, so and I, I can see, Ryan, that you did not require Dr. Boot to listen to our first episode because Jeff and I talked about that, though beautifully put, Joe. I agree with all that. I mean, the real issue is natural law, or rather more accurately, we would say the creational law or creational uh, norms. The point I made then and repeat is God never invites us to interpret reality apart from propositional revelation. But there's a sort of multivalent three, Jesus Christ, the Bible, and creation, right. all um, all working together. And I think that's what's vital to, to understand. And of course, as we said last time, to remember that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, according to Paul, is the mediator, not just the redemption, uh, but also creation. And uh, third, we never actually encounter nature. We don't encounter it in a neutral way. No. It's not that we don't share this reality. We don't share this nature with unbelievers or others. It's just we don't encounter it in a way that's not neutral. I think that's what's important to understand. We don't hold, as I said last time, to a constructivist Kantian epistemology. That is, the human mind constructs reality. Some of our Christian opponents accuse us of that. We don't believe that. Van Til didn't believe that. Dewey Vere didn't believe that. Uh, but we just can't come at it neutrally. That's the point. Yeah. 
and I think that also subsumes another piece that uh, keying off what Joe said is the notion of the how do we conceive of reason? No one's saying let's abandon reason. No one's saying that wisdom is verboten. What we're saying, though, is that reason is a tool in God's created and providentially sustained uh, cosmology. Reason is a tool. It's not a judge. Whereas kind of a flat pagan Hellenistic view of the natural law uh, is it requires, because it's not received, it's not revelational, it requires either the collective, quote, reason or individual reason to act as a judge, sifting through and this and that and the other thing. That is a denial of a fundamental piece of anthropology, again, leading to syncretism, misapplying the nature of the human person. Yeah. Yeah, in a certain sense, this whole idea of, of, of reason, I mean, the... Uh... I think it would be uh, Evan Runner would say that, that in a certain sense, reason in this sense, in, in, in this sort of rationalistic sense, is a myth. Um, you know, it's to take uh, human understanding and to turn it into, to, to almost deify it and turn it into something that is the final arbiter and judge over all reality. And as Andrew said there in the, in the Kantian view, becomes the legislator um, of reality. And that's not what we're... We're, we're saying so when we talk about uh, our our concerns with um, natural theology and natural law our concern is that we're not departing from you know god's word revelation and somehow locate the authority in man's rational capacity right no and as a matter of fact we don't understand how we're supposed to interpret creation apart from that word revelation mm -hmm. and that's the great irony here uh, if there is to be a natural theology or a natural law, it must be based in supernatural theology and supernatural law, i.e. the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where we go to understand how to interpret this. Uh, so even before the fall, it was necessary to have propositional revelation. God didn't drop Adam and Eve into the garden and then expect them to look around and sort of arrive at infallible conclusions about what was going on. He set them in the garden and told them, what they were supposed to do and where uh, they're calling and so on. Mm -hmm. So this propositional revelation was necessary to interpret nature before the fall, much so after the fall. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's a very important. Uh, that's a very important point that I think Van Til was always very keen to stress, wasn't it? That uh, this um, God walking with Adam in the cool of the day and their communication together, man was never left simply with. Uh, to 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 look at the created world and reach conclusions, and so I think what you said at the beginning, Andrew, about this this critical point about the unity of the the creation word Christ that you know in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and He was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through Him. So we've got Christ and the creation word and the inscripturated word, and these are a unity. And I think our concerns come when we see. Uh, uh, Christian traditions today really wanting to separate that unity. Yeah, that's, I mean, exactly that's right. right. Yeah, I mean, some the of other, us, yeah. um, we, no, go ahead, Jeff, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. It, it's uh, hard when we're just on the phone, but uh, one piece I read uh, was kind of using as a sloganeering and saying, you know, this notion of a Christian world and life view, that's just ha, 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 simplistic, kind of thinking, but it's very interesting uh, that that's never uh, Paul's point. 
Paul rests his entire argument on a cosmology, and that cosmology uh, explicitly invokes not just even you know reason or a higher power or a deistic conception, but the creator God, the triune God, right. and then the creator. Paul's categories are not neutral as to worldview. Paul's redemptive articulations are not neutral as to the creational cosmological worldview. And so to kind of poo-poo and you know use it like a bumper sticker, ha-ha-ha, Christian world and life view, to dismiss it is really to miss the narrative of how Scripture puts these things together, whether it's from Genesis 1 or the end of the age, Revelation 22, those components are there. Uh, he, so from him to him and unto him are all things, including our thinking. Absolutely. And, and, so I think, yeah. and then I think from another perspective where this goes that's problematic is you never find true hope articulated, implied, or in a, as an ethical way, apart from God and Christ. So when you say that we can't have a biblical this or a biblical hope or a biblical worldview, and we are actually severing how the Scripture, how God himself, puts together hope for those he created. Mm-hmm. And it's always right. in conjunction with, never apart from, God and Christ. And so to say that we're getting really wise, that's a strange way to define wisdom as severing the very nexus that promotes hope for the human person and the common good. Yeah, I read the article on that, and I agree with all that, Jeff. The irony of those who are up now sort of attacking those of us, specifically those on this phone and uh, others, uh, about worldview thinking (laughs) – they, I guess they don't recognize how self-defeating that is. I mean, that itself, that attack springs from a particular worldview. Precisely. So worldview is inescapable. Uh, it's either a Christian worldview or not a Christian worldview or a modified Christian worldview, but everybody's got a worldview. Um, this particular author says we need to get away from biblical, uh, biblical thinking and creating a biblical understanding and get back to wisdom. The author I read very carefully never really defines that except to say the good, the good, which also can be found among non-Christian religions and unbelievers and so on. But of course, we immediately ask the question, well, how would one define what is good? And if he were to say, well, everybody understands that that's self-evident, well, that really would fly in the face of what the Bible says, that unbelievers, for example, misinterpret. I mean, according to, look no further than Romans chapter 1. Right. the, 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 the good truly is around us, but unbelievers will not recognize the good, the good of creation, for example, but misinterpret it. So it's not so self-evident that it can't be misinterpreted, and in fact, according to Paul, will be misinterpreted by unbelievers. And that's, of course, why we need the Word of God. And I'm particularly disturbed by these pot shots about those who want to give biblical answers. As ironic as I was reviewing this particular uh, article today, how contrary to biblical advice it is. Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not live by word alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. And the, the psalmist says, the word is a lamp to my feet. The Torah, the Torah is a lamp to my feet, the law and a light to my path. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, it's a word that'll thoroughly, entirely furnish uh, the ministers. So this sort of quick exit from 
the Bible into this sort of amorphous good really is not in line with Christian teaching. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, beginning, of, beginning of wisdom. wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, well, that's, uh, that's not to say that, uh, that we can sort of get to uh, be the first ones to put our hand on the phrase biblical and then swing it around or slap it around like a bumper sticker and say that we're like and use it to uh to silence all dissent like biblical means something we don't come to the word of god just like we don't come to god's world without without presuppositions yeah right. I, exactly right but you would only know that by what reading the bible right the Bible itself is the solution to that excellent problem that you put your finger on. Not everyone comes to me saying, Lord, Lord, right? So no. from a formalistic standpoint, the label is not dispositive. Everyone agrees with that. No one's saying that that's part of the problem. Uh, I think another – I'm going to point out another problem with this, if I may. And he, he's essentially parroting Oliver O'Donovan when he talks about the collapsing of the right into our knowledge of the good, you know, and that when we're collapsing deliberation with reflection, well, that's right out of O'Donovan. He doesn't cite him, but the irony there, of course, is O'Donovan believes that from start to finish, man must be in reference to God, that his prayer, his thinking, his being, his actions, his ethics, that's the whole burden of a book which he's parroting. So I, this is just very, con, at best, confusing uh, to a reader who, who knows these things. So uh, there's something else going on here. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm not judging motive, but I'm saying there's something else intellectually going on here. And it's, it's, it's really a, it's a mess, uh, actually. It's not what the Word of God would require us to do. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, does that mean that all of our language is nothing but you know, footnotes and Bible references? No. Why? Because the Bible doesn't speak that way. That's right. Sometimes the Bible quotes the Bible. Sometimes it doesn't. We ought to use our minds as well, rooted on the Scripture. We're to have a foundation, not a foundation of sand, etc., etc., etc. But none of that suggests what some of these uh, people are saying. Just for some context for, you know, for, our, for our listeners today on this, I mean, we... Uh, skirting around it a little bit but what we're what we're really talking about is that there is um we're, we're concerned about a, a a growing sort of chorus in north america um within circles that are speaking about culture or talking about um the apologetic task or whatever to um it's becoming increasingly fashionable um, within a sort of revival of Thomistic and natural law ideas to, um, well, frankly, not just attack, but in, at times even mock um, those who are uh, uh, coming at the issue from what I would describe as a robust, um, a robustly biblical and I think apologetically and philosophically coherent perspective, recognizing that religious assumptions uh, religious propositions, um, uh, faith assumptions, if you will, uh, undergird all kinds of thinking in every aspect of people's lives, and that uh, they are direction-giving, uh, that those assumptions are actually direction-giving in the way people think about and then apply uh, those ideas uh, socially and in concrete terms. And um, I think 
that there's a reason that this sort of anti-biblical motif goes along with that. I mean, one of the we're talking now about, um, uh, in particular, the article has been published by Damnable House. I mean, sorry, D- Davenant House. Um, and, I would and, call that a Freudian <laughs> slip. <laughs> and, and they're not the only organisation, but they're certainly one of them that just sort of endlessly seems to be attacking uh without provocation um uh, organizations like um that are that are that are promoting b- biblical worldview scriptural worldview thinking the article you guys have been referring to i think is the recent one by alistair roberts uh for the davenant institute uh, uh talking about um, you know an age of marketing and trying right. to reduce uh the the perspective um of those who are trying to help uh, others um, rightly understand and analyze the the world and life views that we're surrounded by. They don't like that term, even of course. They 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 don't even like the term world and life view. There's there's a sort of um, uh, an implicit separation of sort of the, bib, the the relevance of scripture to an upper story of reality, and then yeah. wisdom and natural law is what you really need for the the the, the world uh, in the lower story. Uh, as it were. So he says, for example, at one point, people can become disillusioned with biblical Christianity when they recognize that uh, that there is a great deal of wisdom to be found outside of biblical circles and a great deal of folly and simple-mindedness to be found within them. Uh, and he goes on, scripture is far from the whole picture. Um, now, you know, none of us, you, Jeff, or you, Andrew, or the EACC here are saying that scripture uh, says everything about everything um, at all. Uh, in fact, uh, Andrew just quoted the passage, you know, that the God's word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Mm-hmm. And so the word of God itself is not the path. It's a light to our path. Well, what's the path? Well, the path is the creational reality that's all around us that God has right. set us in. Um, and it, the the interesting thing in the very the, the premise of this very, very confused article uh, is that um, he he argues here that he says that such worldview analysis unwittingly adopting the legacy of figures like Immanuel Kant, interesting in itself because the Reformational tradition was concerned to refute uh, Kantianism, whether it's Van Til or, or Doerverd, and tends to emphasize a mentally constructed world over the concrete world. Well, actually, that is the absolute opposite of what um, uh, men like Van Til and Doiverd were trying to do. In fact, Doiverd's um, uh, uh, perspective, not just on his transcendental criticism of um, thought, but in his view of um, the various uh, modes or aspects of created reality, he was concerned primarily with concrete reality. That's right. Uh, and actually yeah, recognizing right. that concrete reality creation is a given and that these creational givens are the transcendental requirements they are necessary for there to be any kind of valid discourse about knowledge or truth or wisdom or goodness which speaks to your point andrew about well how do you what's the criterion uh, for goodness and they compl- he complains here that we're turning our faith into an, itself is being turned into an ism um the word of god's turned into a brand uh, and this is what's been characterized as the Christian world and life view, that now this is an ism, which, again, is absolutely the opposite. I mean, it's flagrantly 
the opposite of what the Reformational tradition was saying, uh, what Doiverd certainly and Van Til was saying about materialism or Darwinism or Marxism or these things, that these are all fallacious worldviews that try and lift out one aspect uh, of reality and deify it uh, and turn that into the basic principle by which they're going to interpret the basic ideology by which they're going to interpret everything else. And, and the notion that it's only that it's only Christian worldview analysis that has that has done this is complete nonsense. So I I find it almost ironic that he 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 wants to go after and Davenant House appears to be wanting to go after people pointing out these world and life view these religious assumptions that are actually trying to deal with uh, the certainly the ontology the creational cosmology or ontology that Jeff mentioned earlier. That this is about concrete reality and how we deal with it. And that wisdom is not some ethereal abstraction uh, that's up there somewhere in the realm of reason and natural that you can access by reason. But it's something that's actually concrete and real and uh, given by God by virtue of creation. And that we need the word of God in scripture to rightly interpret the created world. And that these two are an unbreakable unity. So... I don't know how you guys read that article, but I found it almost ridiculous in its misunderstanding of what's actually going on in in worldview analysis. So on on the uh, on the one hand, like, I, and I don't think any of us here are are saying that uh, Roberts in this article is wrong and that uh, that we should be doing the things that uh, that he says we should not be doing. I don't. I, nobody is here saying that it would be good to turn a, a worldview or a biblical uh, outlook into an ism um, <clears throat> or in like into a slogan. But like, is, is I, ju I just wonder, is, is he actually articulating a real problem? Like, is this, is this a thing that, uh, that Christians ought to be concerned with? Or is this, uh, is this just sort of a solution in search of a problem? I, I was Jeff hinted at this earlier. Uh, Jeff, I, I, yeah. Um, I think there's something else going on, and I don't want to articulate what it is, but clearly this is a attempted refutation, at least on a conceptual level, of the Kuyperian, Dewey-Verdian, Van Tillian yeah. uh, viewpoint, right or wrong. Now, there are probably other things going on here, and there's something else I want to say down the road, but I've kind of stepped on Jeff there, and I apologize. Go ahead, Jeff. No, thank you, Andrew. You're very gracious. I was just going to jump on with what Joe said about is, is this really fairly reading the target? Because I see a straw man after straw man after yeah. straw man. Yeah. And you see this toward the end of the article. He talks about belief in a grand, coherent system makes it difficult to admit the idea of degrees of wisdom or even localized wisdom. But if he understood Kuyperianism or the, what we would call the biblical worldview, it's not a coherent system. It's coherent right. correlational system. It correlates right. with real reality. That's right. That's the burden of Paul. It's the burden of Moses. It's the burden of Jesus. Uh, it, it's not saying we can't deduce certain things from empiricism, but it's again using reason as a uh, tool, not a judge. And yeah, so, it's not. It's not reducing. People, it's not reducing coherence to the logical sphere. Is what you're saying there, Jeff? Right. It's not about talking about simple right. logical coherence. That's right. That's right. It, yeah. Now, there's also a. <laughs> And there's also another self-refuting assumption here, probably 
I don't know if you have the article there in front of you, uh, guys, but under the section, read the ingredients, uh, the author employs this metaphor of sausage, creating sausage, and he says, an abundance of non-Christian influences, ideological, cultural, and material, have been ground into the, quote, pure, close quote, sausage of biblical worldview. If we simply trust the trademark and the label, we might never closely investigate the ingredients, which is there's never a pure biblical worldview among those of us that articulated because there are other cultural influences and so on. But apparently, when we encounter reality uh, and we encounter wisdom, we don't have those because he says that's the alternative. So it's really odd that we have these uh, unstated covert cultural assumptions when we interpret the Bible, but somehow we lose them. We can have a pure interpretation of reality. Yeah. Well, everybody knows that's right. wrong. And this... this... This Kyper and this Kyperian line of thought, this this uh, reformational line of thought that we're, we're talking about, was concerned to be non-reductionistic. So when we talk about the isms and so forth here, we're talking about not um, we're talking about a a, a creational uh, vision of reality, dealing with concrete reality that doesn't try and reduce uh, our understanding of anything to. Uh, as Jeff was pointing out there, some sort of rational, logical coherence or any other um, uh, uh, aspect of reality. It's about trying to, 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 to faithfully look at the whole of God's created concrete reality. And that means, as I think Jeff was indicating there, and I may be, Jeff, maybe you want to pick up on this again, but that, that, that nowhere do we find in Van Til or in, or in um, uh, Doerverd, or in, in the, this worldview tradition, or Schaefer, the notion that we can't find uh, moments of truth, um, moments of wisdom, in the thinking and perspectives of non-believers. This is just another one of the straw men in this article. And it, that it's, yeah. the, it's the fact that people must live in God's world as he has created it, that they are they are bound by inescapable categories of law they are they are bound by the the way in which god has uh, governed the totality of reality and as such men stumble upon treasure and trip over treasure all of the time and even though they can't account for it properly and even though they can't understand it in its fullness nonetheless we find uh you know, we are able to um, to to run off with the gold of Egypt. Uh, we are able to plunder the Egyptians periodically because all human beings live in God's world and are his image bearers. And they can't escape from uh, the reality in which the concrete created reality in which God has placed them. So the notion that we that that, that here when we think about world and life, view, that we're not capable of, of of seeing the grace and wisdom of God uh, active in the totality of creation and in uh, uh, amongst his image bearers is just a nonsense. Is that something that you saw as one of the straw men, Jeff? Uh, it really is. It, it's frankly, it's a very simplistic and inaccurate at many levels view of, of what's really going on there. I, I just don't think there's a robust familiarity with the target he's trying to critique. Right. I think he's probably encountered someone who went maybe to some weekend uh, conference called Worldview and had a couple of quick answers to, you know, slam dunk answers to a materialist and said, well, that's not Christian. You're not a Christian. You're going to hell or something like that. And he thinks that's what this is about. 
or that which is peddled as worldview. There's, you know, there's a ton of things. Every time I go to a, a Christian bookstore, I, I would be remiss if I think that every offering there is bona fide, edifying, let alone orthodox. So, so okay, fine. Let's grant that uh, everything called the Christian worldview is not applied correctly or maybe incomplete, but to, to do serious work, which, which I think this, this, his various sponsors have called him to do, this is not a serious work. It, yeah. it, it will fool people who are not well-read, but it is, it is literally has ironies. It has contradictions. You know, in that same paragraph uh, about the sausage, he says, well, we have to test all things against Scripture. Oh, really? Right, yeah. Argued for six pages against that. Yeah, and here's an interesting point, guys. Um, there actually was, of the 20th century, a particular Christian uh, Reformed theologian and philosopher that held to something like this view, a very gifted man, who toward the end of his life even was arguing about all, about all the true knowledge we can even have is in the Bible, and that was Gordon Clark. Uh, the interesting thing is Van Peel consistently disagreed with Clark on that. He went out of his way to say, God never says that all of our knowledge is to be derived from the Bible. And Clark argued with him on that point. But interestingly, I'm quite sure that the author is not targeting Gordon Clark here. I'm quite sure that he's arguing, uh, he's targeting people like Van Till and, and Duivier, Kuyper, that whole, those, uh, those of the ICC, CCL, others like that. That is the irony. So, I mean, it really is a, a misplaced target. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's clear, I think, Jeff is, I think Jeff is right on point in saying, I think the uh, there, there's a lack of familiarity with the target. I mean, it would be it would be impossible to read um, uh, 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 Doyerverd's Encyclopedia of Law uh, or almost any of his works, The Roots of Western Culture, without noticing how he expresses repeated appreciation for where different thinkers have come across important uh, moments of truth uh, in their reflections. And what we're saying as believers, of course, and as Christians is because we have the word of God, that we've been given it in Christ and it's inscripturated for us, that we are able to bring a, uh, a sense of clarity um, and a sense of coherence and a sense of meaning uh, and a sense of intelligibility to what the non-believer, when he stumbles over these things, isn't able to account for them adequately and, 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 and recognize their intelligibility. So Joe, right. um, sorry Jeff, go ahead. No, I'm saying I'm just affirming that's exactly right. That is a subtle and accurate way of describing the dynamic of interacting in God's world with believer and unbeliever and knowledge or epistemology. But what we're seeing here is, I hate to use the word superficial because I don't know this gentleman, but it's really superficial and I was clued into it and I'll reiterate it because he's really alluding to without citation or attribution, Oliver O'Donovan. And if you understand O'Donovan even a little bit, it's not even close. It goes in 180 degrees the opposite direction than what he's arguing. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.